Welcome back to FTR. This is Ever Kalamako. And so this is going to be the first episode of the foundational courses that I was talking about last week. I'll explain more once I come back after this introduction. Did you not know that those who run a race run to win a prize? Those who run practice self-control in all things. So therefore, run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you will not be disqualified at the appearing of the Lord. For it is not those who start the race that win, but those who finish the race. Yes, we must finish the race. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're back here. Um, so what I want to do real quick, because I have a long clip coming up, I just want to give a small introduction. This is going to be the first lesson of the foundational classes um, that's been recorded live um, in our house meeting here in South Carolina. Um, if you're just joining for the first time, just go back and Listen to episode one, give a little introduction on what this whole podcast thing's about. Uh, but thank you for joining. And if you've already listened to episode one, then dive right in. This is foundational class number one. This is a foundation before the foundations. And so we're going to be talking about some basic uh, foundational principles on how to read scripture, just the you know the reason to have a core. Um, and so get right into it. It's pre-recorded. And um, hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, blessings, and I'll talk to you guys soon um, after this clip. So, welcome everybody. Welcome you too. You guys are uh, been here for a few days, right? Yeah. In Greenville. Yeah, or two days. Um, so thank you for the sacrifice. You know, I guess you guys are. Yeah. Amen. So just um, um, the format that I would like to engage with is, um, you know, I'll, I will open up with the with the subject, uh, go through some scriptures and and go through some of the uh, some understanding that I have and, and kind of share with everybody. And in the process, you guys um, take notes, uh, questions, even comments. And then, and then towards the end, we'll open it up with, hey, let's all just kind of search the scriptures together and talk about this with things the Lord has shown you on this subject and verses that you have. Um, obviously, there's a billion words in here. Um, I don't plan on having some theological, you know, discourse and discussion. So you guys might have 100 verses. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a theologian, um, but I do... Uh, like to share experience and, and what God has shown. So that being said, be open to be, be share scripture, you know, towards the end. But I would like to open it up with the uh, here's the the um, the focus of the of the of the subject, and then we'll have like a discussion back and forth kind of a deal in, between all of us. Does that sound good? Cool. Um, and so there's a few people that won't be able to be here, so we've decided to, we want to record all these sessions. And so I got the little mic, and I had a crazy time before you guys got here, uh, trying to find the best method to record. I 
took all my stuff out and it turns out I have like seven or eight ways of recording from you know these kind of mics to actual mics and and bunch of things and none of them were working so this is like my super backup so hopefully it comes out good and, and you're recording too okay so see the idea is um the idea is to get this out there is to get it out there um uh i i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of things and it's really heartbreaking you know we're we're living in the in the, in the times where we must have a strong foundation. We have to have a strong foundation. The storm is coming. It is coming, and uh, it's this COVID thing. It's it, and all the things are coming behind it, and all the different changes in the government and everything. It's not going to go away. The name COVID might go away. This one particular issue might go away, but everything that's been said because of it is not going away. And it's only going to get worse. And, and so I'm looking at believers. I'm listening to believers. I'm interacting with believers. And, and they might have some you know, insight in the scriptures. They might have some crazy spiritual experience with the Lord. But their foundation is not sturdy. And so um, besides all the you know, programs and, and all the services and, and, the, and the, all the other things like my heart is to make sure that people have a deep foundation. And so today I just want to set a foundation before we get into the foundations. And I just want to talk about like what we're about to get into and, and um, so that we can set our minds for it. And I want to start in Hebrews chapter 6. So for those who've been part of PTS schools, uh, Luke 10 schools, um, it's going to be a very, very similar format as far as the, the structure and the order of lessons. But, but you're also going to see a, a different side of it, a different aspect. Um, and so we're, this, this whole training session is not going to be so much um, kickstarting or activation like on street. You know, kind of a deal that we see in kickstarts and in Luke 10 schools and PTS. It's going to be more... Uh, internal ground foundations and if anything kickstarting our spiritual intimacy with God so that's kind of what we're gonna be focusing these these next weeks is us you know besides all the awesome things that we do as disciples um, the Lord is requiring one thing that he said is more important and it's to be at his feet Um, all the work is important is great and it's needed but Jesus said she chose the most important thing and that it won't be taken away from her. And that's she was at his feet. And and how do I know that that's it's primary for him? Because in that day, people were going to say, I did all these amazing things in your name. And we saw great and wonderful miracles. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so that tells me that these these signs that should follow us is uh, obviously second, but first is to know Him, and that's what I want this next week's to be. Let's get to know Him. Um, and so Hebrews chapter six is where I'm going to start today. Uh, 
and it's going to set the, the, the pace for the next few weeks. And, um, and yeah, it's going to be good. I believe it. So right now in Hebrews, uh, raise, raise your hand if you think that Hebrews is a complicated book. I do. It's complicated. It's it's heavy in detail. It is um, over my head many times. You know what I mean? And so Hebrews in itself is like, man, you have to be a scholar to know what this guy's talking about. Uh, you guys want to feel that way? I mean, I put it there for Romans. Put it with Romans. Yeah, right? <laughs> so Hebrews is just like, whoa, to me. But something... Something that really struck me in studying the book and, and the different sections of chapters is that chapters 1 through 4 where it talks about the angels and, and, and other things like that, like uh, priesthood and Melchizedek and um, the, the Sabbath and all these laws and breaking them down and stuff like that. I'm just like, man. Like, I don't understand most of these things. Um, but then I see something in chapter 5 that blows my mind. Towards the end of chapter 5 in uh, verse 11, it says, Concerning him, this is after he has spoken so much about Christ. He says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, Leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. And I'm going to stop right there for now. So, this person, the writer of Hebrews, has just gone through five chapters of intense Levitical law and crazy angelic being uh, explanations and all this stuff. Right? Things that I don't even know and I've been in church my whole life. And what's this dude talking about? And he's, he's, he's talking to them like they know this. And then he turns around and says, you guys are infants and you guys don't know anything. You need milk. And I'm saying, so he's saying that their state of being right now is infants and that they need milk. And he's just got through talking about all this intense stuff that I don't even know. And most of American church doesn't know either. And if these guys knew all of this already and were infants, and American church doesn't understand what's going on through verse chapters 1 through 5, where does that leave us? Okay? If, can I see that board behind you? If the writers of Hebrews is saying, and... You guys on the audio, you guys are missing this. If this is the ground, ground zero, and if the Hebrew writer is saying that they are infants and they're at the bottom 
and they're lacking understanding and they're they're down here and then it's time to grow up but they're in the bottom and chapters one through five is almost hard to understand unless you know all the laws and that's where they're at and the american church doesn't even understand this where are we you see what i'm saying like if this is a floor of their of their house and that's the foundation we're about to talk about and this is how first floor of their house we're in the basement we're in the basement we haven't even made it to the first floor yet and yet the american church seems to be oh i have it all figured out i don't know how many degrees i have in, in theology and blah 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 and how many videos i watched and all the subscribers i have and all the bible studies i've done and and, and it, it, as a whole, you know, you talk to somebody about the, the elementary principles and foundations, and they're like, yeah, I don't understand that. And so I just want to, I just want to set that stage that we, we, we need to catch up. We need to catch up because look what he says in, in chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Chapters 1 through 5 were elementary teachings. He said, you guys, have the found, you guys have the foundation. It's time to move on from the foundation. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of what? And he named six things. Repentance from dead works and faith of, towards God and of faith towards God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Period. Okay? So he says... Let us leave the elementary teachings about the Christ and let us move on to maturity and not lay again a foundation. And then he named six things. This is the foundation of every infant that is in milk. And he lays out these six things. And these six things are key and essential for a new birth. Because he's talking about needing milk in infancy. And then he says, this is your foundation. Let's grow up already and let's move on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Okay, foundation. That's the first thing you lay before you build a house, correct? All right. And these foundational points is the elementary teachings about the Christ. So these foundational uh, topics are essential for the beginnings of understanding Christ or the oracles of God. Okay? Now, when you when you look at where we're at today as a whole and you start to, you know, engage with people and you ask them, "Hey, have you fully repented?" Well, I don't know. I don't know what repentance really means. But you've been going to church for how many years? Okay. Do you have faith towards God? I mean, I believe in Him. But how's your faith? I don't know. Kind of wavers, you know. I'm kind of. But I've been going to church for 10 years. Have you been baptized, immersion, and complete immersion in water? And I was sprinkled as a child. Okay. Have they laid hands on you, received the Holy Spirit? I think I have the Holy Spirit. You hear these things all the time. And these are foundational, elementary oracles, the beginnings. 
And you're seeing that people don't even have the beginnings, but they've been in church for 12 years, 14 years, 20 years. And it's like, okay, so you're building a house and you haven't even properly set your foundation up. And you're building a house because you're in ministry, you're helping the youth, and you're doing this and you're doing that. So you are building a house, but when I look at your foundation, you're missing this center block and this one and this one. Right? And now, what did Jesus say about somebody who builds a house on a unstable foundation? Let's go to Matthew 10. I think it's Matthew 10. Actually, Matthew, Matthew 7. Um, uh, who would like to read verse 24 through 29? 24 through 29 of chapter 7. Joey. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be, a, be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and its collapse was great yeah next two when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. Yeah. So Jesus, he's, you know, with chapters 5, 6, and 7, like he's giving a big, long sermon. He's on the mountain, and he just starts giving this long sermon. And I'm sure they condensed his message for the scriptures. And, and so he says all these things, profound words if you read them. And then he ends it with, I just gave you who I am and what I, what I expect of you. And therefore, anybody who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, he says, you're either wise or foolish. And listen to what he's saying. He, he, he's not saying it's impossible to build a house without a bad foundation. He never said that. He's saying, you can build a house, but what kind of foundation are you going to build it on? You know? So it is possible to be building a house for many and many and many years and not be building on the right foundation. Jesus saying to himself that you can hear my words, but if you don't act upon them, you're a foolish man building his house on sand. You can hear, see, both of these people heard words, but they weren't, one of them didn't do the words, one of them did. They're both listening, one's acting upon it. And what does the scripture say about don't be hearers, but also doers? And so Jesus is saying, how, how many people are actually listening to great sermons and, and great this and great that and all, oh, yes, bring it in. Come on, give me more. I need more. I need more. I need more. Sucking it up. Come on. More, 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 more. And they're not doing anything about it. I'm talking about the entirety of everything Christ said. I'm not talking about just works. I'm talking about being at His feet too. I'm talking about humility. I'm talking about loving one another. I'm talking about 
everything as a whole, right? And they're not doing anything. They understand a lot, but they're not doing much. He's like, I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, I am telling you, when the storm comes and the rain falls and it's coming, that because you don't have a strong foundation, your house will not stay firm. It will not stay standing. The collapse of it was great. So Jesus is saying, it is important to check your foundation. And we see in Hebrews that the foundation are these six things as a beginning. And so for the next weeks, I want to get into each one of these and more, depending on you guys. And if, you, if we're having fun and we want to keep on going, let's keep on going. If not, we just can stop at the sixth one. And, and you know, but I, I just, I love this. I love this so much. Um, so First uh, Corinthians chapter... Is it 10? Is it 10? No. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, no man can lay a foundation except for the one has been laid. Where's that at? Uh, that no one can lay a foundation except for the one that's already been laid. I had it earlier. close okay so uh, let's see can somebody read from let's start with nine all the way to fifteen who wants to do that okay This right here is a, is a really intense passage. 
So we see Paul, first of all, he said, I have laid a foundation and then somebody else is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. These are, these are words of making sure that um, we're intently watching how we're doing things. We're not just loosely living a, a Christian life however we feel is pleasing to us, but that we're carefully watching how we build this house on this foundation that has to be laid. And so Paul, he's like, okay, I'm laying a foundation, and it's it's not my foundation, it's it's uh, Christ Jesus. It says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And um, and again, uh, Hebrews is saying that this foundation is the oracles of God, the elementary principles of Jesus. And so I want to connect these scriptures together because that you you might encounter people that first of all they don't know this they just thought I was, I accepted Jesus and I thought that was it now I joined the the praise team or the youth group and and they don't know that there was actual foundation to be laid first and then others say you know it's not necessary you know but having this understanding in these scriptures and I'm sure you might know more it's like wait 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 like no the scriptures are clear that that you're building on a weak foundation and you're going to fall or you got to be careful how you build your house we need to make sure we got a good foundation and and the foundation is is Christ Jesus and we got to move on maturity after foundation you know these scriptures come to life like we can't just make up some christian life and then think it's it's cool these are it's not the way it is and and, and I want to segue into uh the oracles of God that we saw in Hebrews 5, it says, um, you don't have to go there, but I'll just, it says, though for this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The oracles of God are all throughout this book. You see? I'm talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant. And, and now, especially in America, like I'm hearing more and more that, well, we, we can even exclude the, the Old Testament because like we live in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and, and all the news. We don't really need the Old Testament. That's done away with. And we live here, you know? And I, and I want to say that, that the oracles of God existed before He created the heavens and the earth. Right? Okay. So if God had his standard before he created anything and he gave his standards to a people which we see Abraham was called out and then he said be my people follow me and obey me and I will be your God and you'll be my people right he and then he gave them the oracles when Moses brought the people out God gave them his oracles correct and so if they're the oracles of God, why are we rejecting these things in the Old Covenant? In other words, our worldview of this book has been distorted because of our American thought process or our Western thought process. And what I'm wanting to say is that the Old Covenant is not necessarily a Jewish thing. But it's for the Jews. It's not for us Gentiles. 
But let me let me say that the oracles that God gave them, did, did the Jews make it up? Or where did it come from? It came from God. So it has nothing to do with the Jews. It has nothing to do with the Hebrews. It has nothing to do with Israel. Okay? It has everything to do with God giving His oracles to a people, Israel, that the Israelites held His oracles, and Israel was supposed to be a light unto the nations. In other words, it wasn't exclusive to just the Israelites. Is that making sense? So when Jesus come on the scene, which by the way, He came as a Jew, and, and, and Jesus was following all the oracles, and He said, uh, that my words will never fade away. And then he comes and we come into Acts. And then we're coming into Hebrews. And you're seeing the same thing that we have the oracles of God. I just want to say that nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. From the beginning to the end. Everything's the same. Okay. And no, no, I'm not bringing Jewish tradition, nothing like that. But I'm just trying to say that this book is a Eastern book, okay? And, and what I want to do is I want us to recognize that somehow to say, well, if that's the case, then is there something that we're seeing? Is there, is there, um, is there a way that we're seeing scriptures that we shouldn't be? Because, obviously, okay, who, who here was born in the, in the East? You're born in the no, east, no, no. not east not of America, not, not, not in America, but in the east, east, you know, Middle East. Middle east. Anybody here born in the Middle East? So they have a whole different understanding, a whole different culture, and a whole different worldview. You know what I'm saying? And, and here in America, we don't. And we have been duped. We've been duped, Okay. Because we have somehow changed the way that it's been written into another way of thinking. And as a summary, we can get into it later, but as a summary, we have super spiritualized the kingdom of God. Super spiritualized it. Okay? Now, part of the foundation is um, based off of a lot of Jewish understanding. Okay? For example, Hebrews 6. Um, instructions about baptisms. Multiple baptisms. You guys ever notice that? Is instructions about baptisms is a capital, is a S, is a plural thing. Like, what is this talking about? Laying on of hands. What is that talking about? Does anybody know what that's talking about? Laying on of hands or, or instructions about baptism? Anybody? No, we don't. We weren't taught. But obviously the writer of Hebrews is telling them something they already know. And he's saying, let us move on from these elementary principles, move on to maturity. But these are things that have to be laid. Like, what is this talking about? And should we do, should we do anything about it? And I would say, yes, we should. And it's going to help us, I promise. I promise you it's going to help us. This, what we're doing here is not going to be in vain. Ever what's it have to do anything being a disciple, whatever. It has a lot to do with it. Because if we're not taking the things of God serious, you know, we're, 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 we're mishandling His, His oracles. 
the laying on of hands, just in a little nutshell, it has to do with laying on the hands for the sick, laying on the hands for blessings, laying on the hands for uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there are many things of laying on the hands, but we're not being taught these things, so we're not we're not acting upon them properly. We cannot lay hands on anybody, nor lay hands on them too quickly. And it's like, what does that mean? Exactly. Why don't we know what that means? These were the elementary oracles that they were following that we should probably know that too. Just don't lay hands on anybody. And, and by knowing these things, you're going to begin to understand, wow, there, there, there's authority in these hands. And if, I, and if I understand as a fundamental belief that we have authority, then I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. Or I'm not going to lay hands on them too quick. You see what I'm saying? But first, we have to, we have to un-super-spiritualize our beliefs and go back to a more fundamental teaching on, on what they believed. We have super-spiritualized a lot of things. For example, baptism. That there is actually a forgiveness of sin and a washing away of the body of sin in the water. But in the Western mindset, we, don't, we can't understand that because we've separated the physical with the spiritual. We've separated it, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, no, no, no. When you go into the water, your sins are washed away. No, that doesn't make any sense. How can that happen? It's just water. Yeah, but see, the Hebrew understanding was different. It was different. It was a completely different. They, they would get a, a lamb and they would slit its throat and blood would come gushing out. And when God saw that physical act, He would forgive their sins. Yet when we see it today, we're like, there's nothing physical or materialistic I have to do in order for that to happen. I just have to somehow concoct this imagination or thought in my head that it exists and and just think it and maybe believe and agree with it and accept it and all of a sudden something happens. That's never been the way God has ever done anything. Never. He's always been a spiritual and a physical God. God is super physical. You know how I know that? Because we're here. God who is spirit made something that's physical and then he dwells in it. It's that simple. I, God has always been a physical God. He said, build a, a box and make it holy, consecrate it, and then I'm going to dwell in it. Why? Because he connects to the physical. Always. Nothing has ever changed. Jesus taking mud and put it on the eyeballs and then something crazy happens. And so just that small little tweaking of our mind and say, hold on, okay. So there's a different worldview and understanding that I should probably be thinking like, yes. And it's the book that you're holding is a Middle Eastern book. It was written by Jewish people and Hebrews that had a whole different worldview than we did. The entirety of this book, every author here, except for maybe one, but every author here had a Jewish understanding of the physical and the spiritual, and it was always connected. 
Always. From Genesis to Revelation. Okay. So that's that one foundational thing I want to lay. Okay. Here's the next one. That from the from the first pages of this book to the last pages of this book, there is a red thread that goes all the way through every page. And then holds these pages together. And it's the gospel of God. The gospel of God is going from the first pages to the last pages. And this is the foundation I'm going to lay here. That the gospel of God is more than Jesus coming to die for your sins. It's more than Him hanging on the cross and being buried and rising from the dead. That is just a part of it, the gospel. But the good news from the first part of these pages uh, is something greater. I mean, what's greater than Him dying for us? Nothing. But because He did that ultimate, beautiful, wonderful sacrifice, something greater is going to happen because of that. And that is a complete annihilation of evil, darkness, wickedness. It's going to be completely burned up and done away with. And a literal new heaven and a new earth will be created after he shakes heaven and earth one last time, he will create a new heavens and a new earth, and he will wipe everything clean, and he's going to redo it, and he's going to place us there, and they're going to be together near the temple of God, dwelling with the Lamb of God forever. That, what I just said, is the thread of the gospel through the entire book. Literally. And so that's another foundational point that the good news is the restoring of all things. I have heard people say that Jesus crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. Well, when I look out the window, I still see wickedness and darkness, and I still see the serpent going, going wild. It doesn't look like his head's crushed yet. Or, or am I mistaken? Is there peace out there? There's still, there's still a wicked one out there, isn't there? So his head's not crushed yet. Because when you crush the head of a serpent, they're dead. He's still roaming around. You see how we, we, super, we, we spiritualized that, yes, Jesus said it's finished. It's finished in the sense that he has all authority, but it's not complete because his throne's not here yet. He will establish his kingdom, but he's not here yet. He's still in heaven. So it's not complete. It's not over. Does that make sense? That's another foundation point that as we go along to all these foundation points, literally it's going to be tied into what I'm saying. And what is that thread that passes through all? It's this. It is the promise of restoration of all things. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, please. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's just read chapter three together. Let's do like five verses each. 
starting with Jeremy and then, and then Stephanie and then go clockwise. Everybody there? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be made like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, <clears throat> and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Mm -hmm. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sued, they sued fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou givest, gavest to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat. In all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy heel, bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow, and thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife, named Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Blake, you want to go? Sure, yeah. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then 
The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to fill the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This, this is the climax of humanity. Is, is, this is the peak of, of a shift chapter 3 of Genesis, and a lot of the things that we say in the next next weeks is going to be based off of this chapter. Many of the things that we're seeing and, and many of the reasons for the foundation of Christ have to do with this chapter, so just keep this in mind. Um, but what I want to point out here is, uh, so we, we see that the serpent deceived the woman, right? And then the woman then turns and tells her husband about it, and then they both fell, and the disobeyed and they turn from God. And because of this, God has been gracious to discipline them because He is a Father and He loves them. And, and what He said, He's going to accomplish. Right? And though it hurts Him, and though it doesn't feel good for Him to do this, um, we, we can trust that when God says something, He's going to do it. And so when He says you're going to die, because He loves us, we die. It's crazy to, to see it that way, but it's almost a good thing to know that, that God will not be moved and that he will be firm in all his decisions. And it's because of that that I can trust him and that I can stand by him knowing that if God says something, it's going to happen. Imagine if he said you would die and then they said, he's like, oh, I, can't, I just can't do it. I'm like, hold on. You know, how am I going to do the next thing that he says? When he says, I will bless you with the home, or I'll bless you with this. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure you will. You know, because it seems like you fluctuate in your decisions. So, that, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, God is going to do what he says. Because he's a loving father. And so, um, so, so yes, they've disobeyed, they've turned, and now they, they have this punishment. This thing changes the entirety of the, of the, of the world. And it's because of the deception of the serpent. And he says, you have to die because you disobeyed me and, and I have to do what I said I was going to do. But because I love you and because the, the, the reason I made you was so that I could be with you, I'm going to make a way to restore you and gain you back to myself. I'm going to find a way to get you back to me. Okay. So what does he do? He says, Servant, you deceive humanity. But guess what? I'm going to use humanity to destroy you. See that? Imagine the serpent's thought process. Like, hold on. So I just destroyed man. By turning them to you, now they die, and you're going to use man to destroy me? Like, hold up. That would have never crossed my mind. But God said, yeah, to show you that I'm sovereign and that, you know, have everything under control, I will use the man that you destroyed, I will use man to destroy you. Yeah. Okay. So, check this promise out. In verse 14, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman. From here on out, there's going to be conflict between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. See that pronoun he? The promise was that a he will crush the serpent's head. And so now imagine Adam and Eve saying, who is that he? Who is going to crush the serpent's head? And the serpent is going to bruise his heel. But imagine this, guys. They're ashamed. They're, they're, they're looking down. They're pouting because of their shame and guilt. And you're going to die because you've done this. And you're going to, in pain, you're going to have children. And you're going to have to toil. God's like, but, but me, right? You know, but God, but me. I will do something. What? Through your seed, there will be a man whose heel will get bruised. But that man will crush his head. It's like, well, really? You would do that for us? And Adam and Eve, they look at each other and like, there's hope. Yes, we're about to get kicked out of the garden, but this man is going to allow us to come back into this garden. So now they're looking for this person who's going to restore all things so that they can go back into this garden that they're about to get kicked out of. Okay? And so, from that point on, when a, when a, when a, when a boy pops out, is he the man? And then Cain kills Abel. I guess it wasn't him. And then, is he the man? And then it just goes down the line. Every Everyone that's born is like, is it him? Is it him? And if you look at all the names in the, in the genealogy, they all have something to do with the Messiah. Look into that. That's like every word has something to do with the Messiah. Because they thought and they thought and they thought. And then you have Noah, who was prophesied of him, that he's going to be the one to give us rest. It was prophesied of Noah. It's him. He's going to give us rest. By his grandfather or dad or Lamech. And so what I'm saying is that from the beginning of time, the good news that they were waiting for was somebody restoring them back to the original state. You see what I'm saying? And so they're looking for this person, like, who is it going to be? And so all throughout the lines, you know, the, you know, you know most of the stories until Jesus comes on the scene and then they run like, bro, we just found the guy we've been waiting for for all these times. The Messiah, I just saw him. And Peter's like, you're crazy, dude. And he's like, no, come check out. You know, and then a Samaritan woman like, he's here. Come, come, come. And, and so now they found this man. And then they're saying, Master, are you going to restore all things? Another question they asked him. Is it at this time you're going to restore all things? He's like, it's not for you to know. But see, he didn't restore all things. He didn't. Did he? No, he did not. And they were like, wait a second. So he's the Messiah. He's the man. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to restore all things. So that wasn't the good news that they were waiting for. Like, no, that's not the news we were expected. But see, all throughout the scriptures, you'll see that it says this one thing. 
the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord, right? You guys notice that there's this, this phrase that is carried out through the entire scriptures called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord of his vengeance, the day of his wrath, the day of his vengeance, that's the day where he will wipe away and crush the serpent's head and bring everything back into its original state. That day is the day of the Lord. Okay? It is the day of the Lord where he will make all things right again. And so if they were from the beginning looking for this day where this man would come to restore our things, their mindset, the Jewish mindset was looking for this day. And now you might go back and read the prophets and read all the Psalms and everything. You're going to see, whoa, they, they, they won't stop talking about this day. And it's all throughout the scriptures. And we've totally missed it in the West. We've missed it. How many times have we read through all these scriptures where it talks about the day of his vengeance and the day of his wrath and, 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 and all these things? We're just like, I don't know what that means, but hey, God is love. And we just go through all these passages that we don't understand. We pass them. We go through them. But I want to, I want to say to you guys today that this understanding and this awaiting the great day of the Lord was their focus. And that was their foundation. I know it seems super weird right now. But I promise you the next things that we talk about, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, the uh, resurrection from the dead, and the, and the day of judgment, all of these things have everything to do with the day of the Lord. You're going to see it and you're going to be blown away. It's going to be crazy. And what you're going to realize, what we're going to realize together is that man, somehow, Setting my eyes and fixing my eyes on that day gives us a stronger core to endure into that day. See what I'm saying? So like the foundation of our faith has everything to do with that day. It has to. It has nothing to do with uh, now or the freedom of my experience now. or It's everything to do with that. And if we can set our eyes on that, Hebrews 12, fixing your eyes on Him, what can shake us? What will be able to move our foundation, our house, if our foundation is fixed on that? Nothing will. So I want to, I want to set the foundation that everything that we do say has everything to do with that. And um, I'm going to say a couple more passages, and then we're going to open it up for for discussion. Okay, so uh, Hebrews. 10 uh, actually sorry 9 okay and uh, yes chapter 9 verse 28 it's just one verse um, Sarah could you read that not there yet <laughs> oh, you got it yeah Yes. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Man, this is a jam-packed. So Christ, having been offered once, once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. 
for salvation. But I thought he already saved us by dying on the cross. He gave us salvation. But it says that he's going to come a second time to save us. So what was it first time for? Right? Okay. It says that he, he had been given, he had been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. There's going to be a people that are eagerly looking out the window for the arrival for King Jesus. Those people that are crying out, come Lord, come. Maranatha cry, come. You see, the foundation and the, and the mindset of every person here is the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And I think we've missed that in the churches, you know. Like, I don't think that's the, like, we, we, we mention it, but I don't think we're centering our faith around it. I don't think so. We do say it. It's said. Jesus is coming back, guys. All right, let's have the potluck. But I don't think we're centering our life around His coming and the day of His wrath and the vengeance and reconciliation and all that. I don't think we are. So what is it that He came to do the first time? He came to bear the sins of many. Matthew one twenty one says that Jesus came to save His people from their sins. See, our first salvation is the removal of our sins. We're saved from our sins when Jesus came to bear the sins. But we're not saved yet. And if we can tweak our understanding that we're not saved yet, that should, be, that should bring fear and trembling to our lives. Like, hold up, I'm not saved yet? No. You've just been set free so that you can live a life to be saved when He comes a second time. Because the second time He comes... He's going to come a second time without the reference to sin. He ain't coming back to die on the cross again. See what I'm saying? He already did that once. So I hope you received it, and I hope you washed it away, and I hope you're walking because when I come back, and when I show up, I'm only going to take those who have no spot, nor blemish, nor wrinkle. Those who are eagerly awaiting me, that's what I'm coming back for. There's going to be no but, but, buts, or nothing like that. You know, you got the ten versions as an example. That when, when he was coming, five went in. The other five was like, hold on, okay. I understand now. <clears throat> Doors closed. You see? So having that as a foundational basis of our life too is like, okay. Fear and trembling. I'm not saved yet. You're not saved. I'm not saved. We're not saved. So therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul, after all the things that Paul did, after all the things Paul did, he's like, oh, I hope, I hope that, that I'm found worthy. I hope that, I, that I'm not found short. I'm like, come on, Paul. Man, you've done like, you've done, you know, like you can put 50 people's work together and combined and you probably did more than all those 50 people combined. You did a lot of work. But he's like, no, fear and trembling. Man, if you read the Old Testament, if you read the first five books and you see how God was dealing with His people coming out of Egypt and in the wilderness, every time they disobeyed, 
and and God's wrath was like open up the ground they swallow it up and he closed it just like that and bro if I was there and, and the grounds open up and you guys just fell it's like yo like what's he gonna do next you know what I'm saying like what's he gonna do next I don't know that brings fear and trembling not not the fear of reverence and respect no you better be shaking in your boots that God is, you know, God is, he's the he's God of his promise. Okay. So the next verse I want to do, as I close, is Hebrews. Which one's the other one? Hebrews 9. Oh, Peter. I want to go to First Peter. I want to show you guys. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. So I can put the emphasis where I want, you know. <laughs> um, and I want you to I want you to hear Peter's understanding of what he was writing. Wait till everybody gets it. Oh, first Peter chapter one. Glad you said that because I was in the wrong one. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, here I go. I'm waiting for Blake. Yeah, first Peter chapter one. Alright, Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who resides as aliens. And Jeremy's going to bring us a teaching one of these days about being sojourners and, and pilgrims. He doesn't know it yet, but. <laughs> yeah. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Check it. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus and the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. Why? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Do you notice his, his view wasn't just a born again experience. But he says his mercy has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Preach this, guys. When you want to talk to somebody about being born again, you're not being born again just to be born again, but you're going to be born again to a living hope, the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why you're born again, to the living hope. Why? Because He rose from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. That was the mindset of Peter. I'm going to keep on going. Reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise 
and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that revelation isn't some spiritual revelation in your prayer closet. That's at the revelation when he busts through those clouds on his white horse. He's being revealed. That's the revelation it's talking about. Not some encounter you had at, you know, Sunday morning. Uh, I've been revealed to the Lord through glory cloud. No. The revelation of Jesus Christ is when he comes through those clouds and every eye will see him. And they're going to fall at their knees and say, what have I been doing all my life? That's the revelation Peter's talking about. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unexpressible, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as, as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, the outcome of your faith. It's not about he who starts. It's about the outcome. It's about he who endures to the end. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person, see, what person is it? That guy, that guy, that guy. Or time, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories of follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from above, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your hope should be fixed on His revealing Himself. Not... Yeah. I'm not going to say it. You know, sometimes we want that that next week's hope. You know, I'm, 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 I want a, I want a, some sort of spiritual breakthrough for the next week, and my hope is on Jesus fulfilling some need that I need now. And we're so fixed and on this breakthrough I need this week, and my hope isn't that He was going to do it. When in reality, He's like, hold on, like fix your hope on this. All these other things don't don't matter. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's all I'll say about that. So that's that's a foundation I want to set before the foundations. Yeah, something quick. Go ahead, bro. So first Corinthians chapter nine, just to kind of circle back. Um first uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty four through twenty seven. Basically here, right before this passage. Paul is talking about how he has become all things to all men that he might save some. And and I would say that these these elementary principles of God's word is somehow getting you qualified to enter into what Paul is about to talk about here in uh, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do not now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So the only way to enter into the race is to have this foundation laid in each person. We have to have this foundation laid before we can ever run the race. And I think that many people are running a race without ever laying a foundation. And they're disqualified before they ever enter in. And, and to be honest, he's going to come and he's going to look and he, for himself. He's going to search for himself when he comes back. And if this foundation has not been laid, he will become disqualified. And someone who is disqualified is kicked out of the race and they can't enter again. So let's not fight and beat the air as someone who don't know what they're obtaining. But let's set our eyes on that thing that we shall obtain, which is an imperishable crown from him who has given us a way to, to, to become mature with these elementary principles of his word. Yeah. It's open for discussion, guys. It's comments, questions, uh, five-minute restroom break, or... Oh, there's only one restroom, so we probably like 20 minutes. Just go as 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 you can. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's open it up for good stuff, man. Yeah. I guess one thing about like baptism, um, I guess specifically the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. I always thought like, man, what's your rush like? Like what is said, like what do what is not recorded in the scripture that makes him like as eager as he seems to mm. be baptized? You know, so it's like what is said there, like what don't we hear? And yeah. So you know, putting more of a you know, combining the spiritual with the physical would make sense that okay, if that's what he was told then yeah, he would jump at the first puddle he saw. Yeah. To get in it and get yeah. baptized. like you know last night we sh I shared a little bit and I really could break it down where we, we we take this word called repent and we automatically tie it together with sin but the word repent really has nothing to do with sin I can I can be a roofer and repent from roofing and work at Burger King it just means I change my mind and I do something different and what Peter was telling the people there he's saying they, the Jews basically killed animals to be forgiven for their sin. That's what they did. That's what they were accustomed to. They asked Peter, what do we do? If what you're saying is true, then what must we do? He said, turn away from killing animals and now be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the fulfillment of Joel. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh in the end time. No. We haven't got to yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's keep it at the foundational topic. <laughs> Good stuff, though, bro. I really liked what you had to say about salvation. Because we've talked about this before. Like, you know, like there's, there's more scriptures in the Bible to talk about, like, losing your mm. salvation than, like, once saved, always saved. 
and then we talked about it, and just been like, you know, I think it's in the word salvation that's just like a wrong definition of yes. that word. So what does it mean? So that was really good. Yes, kind of that's it. Made that more clear. And and <clears throat> people not understanding the word salvation that itself destroys like all the branch all the topics that branch from salvation mm-hmm. it destroys like they can't comprehend it yeah. you know like first peter uh three that says you know baptism now saves us um gone because they have the wrong definition of salvation yeah. you know so um understanding that uh we'll get into baptism it's gonna be beautiful but uh understanding the word salvation in itself immediately breaks a whole bunch of different walls mm-hmm. you know yeah i've been i've been in first peter a lot recently just chapter one just that section exactly what we read like literally i just haven't been able to get away from it i've just been reading it again literally just weeping over what i'm reading and uh because i think that's the reality i, I was actually talking to a well, actually, I'll point this out, but it says, it says in verse 2, it says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. And how it just ties the obedience to the sprinkling. And uh, I was t- talking to my friend last night, and he was telling me that a, fr- a friend of his... Uh, said, man, you're, you're a different person since your sister died. His sister died uh, of a heroin overdose about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, super tragic. And, um, and he just said to, his pr- to my buddy, he said, you just haven't been the same since she died. And, and also his grandmother, who, who he was really close with, died around the same time. And it was just a hard, rough time, rough season for him. And, um, you know, someone was telling him, like, hey, sad, you know, he was, he was seemed sad all the time and stuff, and, and um, I said, I, I told him, I, I said, I said, bro, honestly, like, like, you're never going to be the same person, like, you're never going to be who you used to be, I said, so, the thing we need to do, like, we all go through different life circumstances and we're never we're so so often we're looking back at what we could have been what we should have been when really what god is looking for is for us to to look at him and to bring all of our circumstances to to his feet in the closet in the secret place and confess those things before him and ask us to bring healing and then able as we're looking at him then we can live day to day realizing that there's a salvation waiting for us that there's this thing is waiting for us and we can even weep with joy over that coming day and fully live for Christ leaving everything behind leaving all of our past behind and just fixing our eyes on what's coming ahead that Jesus is ahead and Jesus is he's forming us he's walking with us and he's leading us today and for a time that's set which is imperishable and it's undefiled and I mean, the more you think about it, like, even it talks about, like, how it's, how it's more precious than gold, even though gold is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, it's still perishable. Even, even though it can be tested by fire, it's still perishable. 
like these things that these trials that come through us through life that there is a thing which is imperishable waiting for us and that we can live for Christ today every day and how it just when we catch that revelation how it just brings us into a realization that we've made an idol of our past, we've made an idol of, of our, our, our mistakes or the things we've missed or the, our circumstances and we've said, woe is me and different things. And, yes. and uh, man, what he said, he, he said, <clears throat> like, I feel like I just had this revelation that, I, and he said that, that I had made an idol of these things and I feel so full of joy knowing that I can live day to day with Christ. And my mind is fixed on the things ahead. I said, bro, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, that's this. Yes. This is why he came to get to to not fix our eyes today. Like I've had my moment of salvation because like then the truck, the trials come. And what are we fixing our eyes on? But no, like we fix our eyes on what's ahead. The coming salvation, the yes. coming thing that we're we're going towards. And then like he was just saying things. That like, you know, so often we talk about joy, like, oh, you can have joy. But really the whole thing is actually like, no, 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 no. Like Jesus, we, if we follow Jesus, he, we have the joy of the Lord, his joy over us. We get filled yes. with his joy. So many things I can keep going, but, yeah. but, but I, I'm just like thankful. I'm like jumping out of my seat here when you're talking about this because mm. it's just like such a revelation to me even in this moment. Come on. And it truly is. It truly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, bro. It truly yes. is. The blessed hope. The hope of restoration. You know, if I could, um, it says that the, these signs will follow them that believe, right? And then it says, my name they heal the sick, cast out demons and stuff like that, right? Like, what is a sign? You know, like if you drive out this driveway and you go and you're looking for signs to get somewhere, what does a sign do? It points you to a direction, yeah. correct? And so it says that these signs will follow a believer. And what does a sign do? It points you somewhere. Thus, every person that gets healed and that sign is revealed to them it's to show them we're headed somewhere. Yeah. What do you mean? You just got healed, which is a sign that there's going to come a day where there will be no more pain. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Amen. And so, and so when a demon gets cast out, that's a sign that we're headed somewhere that there's going to be a day where there's no more evil or darkness. There's signs that lead us. And these signs and wonders of like a wonder what this world would be like without sickness and disease and pain. I wonder what it would be without, you know, these demons. Those are signs and wonders. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can pray for your broken shoulder and you can get healed, but tomorrow your knee might go up. And so the completeness and fullness of, it, of healing is not here. But a day's coming. We'll all be revealed and made new again. So... The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the fullness. So one thing for you, sister, just about salvation. True salvation is when a sinner has been transformed to a perfect 
unblemished holy saints without any flaws away from this body of flesh that's not happening right now therefore you're not saved yet until that happens you see what I'm saying so like true salvation is when you're completely glorified and so that so now we're headed towards that we're becoming closer to the image of Christ and sanctifying ourselves and so we're we're what does it say to us who are being saved right there's a scripture for that we are being saved you know and so just a good good uh, definition is like we're not saved until we're perfect we're not saved from this perverse world until we're perfect that should be an eye opener like I'm not saved yet because I'm not perfect I heard a story one time uh, about being refined it's been years ago and it's stu- it has stuck with me all these years it was about a Sunday school class teacher who was teaching her Sunday school class and she was saying that um, somebody asked her how do you know when you look like Christ how do you know when you and I'm hoping I get this story out right it's been a while since I've told it but she gave an illustration of um, it's like the guy that sits at this fire that refines gold or Mm -hmm. copper or whatever and he has to stay with it when it hits a certain stage he stays with it while it's in the fire but he knows the moment that he takes it out of the fire and he sees a reflection of himself in it and that peace that it's ready but it's constantly in the fire mm. until it's refined. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he can see himself um, perfectly in that. So it's, it's like a reflection. And you can go and find that. Uh, I forget what the name of a person is that does the refining in a uh, place like that. But it's that is it. That is exactly the process it takes. Wow. And I mean, I can just picture that. I'm I'm a very visual person. Like when I read the word, it's like I jump inside of it and I'm walking with yeah. them. And I, it's like the way you were telling certain things. I could literally see it mm-hmm. playing out. Okay. And but when I heard that story about the uh, refining and the fire. Yeah. When we go through fires that feel like we just can't get through it, just keep in mind that <laughs> you're being refined to look like Christ. Right. Where some people don't have any trials or anything. You know, they're just going right along. Well, but when you're having trials like that, you're being refined to look more like your Savior. Amen. 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 It's a, like... Um, how they know that the, the silver or the gold is ready is because they can see their reflection in it. Right. So that's they're sitting there, they're watching, yeah. and they're heating it up, heating it up, heating it up, and as soon as they can see their reflection, they take it out of the fire. Right. That's how they know that the, it's been purified. You know the story I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Remember I shared the story with you at the Ark? Yeah, so, so what Jeremy said was when Jesus comes, he's going to be looking for himself. Yes. He's going to be looking 
for all his reflections. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, bro. But it's a process, isn't it? It is. James Bond, right? Sanctification. Uh, Counter joy. And, and, a, and a lot of people that don't know what we're learning, you know, I was there. I walked with the Lord for a long, long time. And I say long, it was about six years. And I took a fall, you know. And it's because I, I didn't have that firm foundation. I thought I did. And I was in a Baptist church being taught what the Baptist church teaches. And I didn't have that firm foundation. And so it failed. Yeah. But when the Lord brought me back, he brought me back to a place where I feel like I understand him more now than I ever have in any time I've walked with him. And not only that, I feel like um, the best way I can say it was when back then I, I needed him to make it through a day because I was living through severe panic attacks. 30, 40, 50 of them a day. And I mean, I was living in torment. But when the Lord delivered me from that, and I started walking with him, it's it's just been different. It's been totally different. So I think that was uh, a learning process. But I've noticed that the Lord's always put people in my way to help me grow Absolutely. and to get to that place we're talking about. Yes. And this morning, the Lord was, I always ask the Lord, what do you want me to study this morning? I pray and I ask him to give me wisdom and knowledge, discernment and understanding. And I, he, he took me back to Genesis. I had no clue you were going to be talking about Genesis. And this is like the second time he's done this. But today it was a different feeling. It was like, no, you're going back to Genesis and we're going to start over. (laughs) And it was like, okay. Start over. Maybe the foundation hadn't been as sturdy as I thought, you know, as good as I thought. What what we pick up these weeks, and when you go back to Genesis and start reading again, and you see what the whole different view, uh, point of view, scripture's like, come to life well it does to me now and but the thing that kept sticking in my mind as i was reading was the seed how the seed produces its own kind correct that's all i could get out of this morning it just kept rolling over in my mind that's good was the seed okay and then i saw um the revival from uh, north georgia revival Mm -hmm. how the pastor on um from Israel got on stage and all I can say is he delivered a message but the Holy Spirit just fell on all of them they were getting laid out and had words but one of them he stood up and he said Ecclesiastes 9 8 I think it was he said he asked him what is the Lord what are you seeing what are you feeling and he said Ecclesiastes 9.8 and that is um, to have um, white garments and your um, ointment, your oil 
and then it was talking about um, the seeds. He said he said that there were seeds being birthed, uh, being planted, and then there was some that were being birthed, and that every seed that he plants, he brings to a birth. Yeah, you gotta go. I did. I do want to say something really quick. Um, Romans eight twenty eight, right? Uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. After that, it says, for him for whom he did foreknew, that he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I think that was awesome. So I just want to pivot to that. And then the second was just like, I love the perspective of eternity. Like if we could just mentally understand what awaits in eternity, it's like, I almost, I can't can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to die. It's like whenever we have that type of eager expectation, we no longer fear death. And it's just different. You just like all fear goes away. It's like if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And if he comes up before then, I get to be with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Paul, he was like, you know, like I'm down with leaving, but I wonder if I should stay for your sake, because I'm like, I'm trying to go. You know, Paul was like, I'm ready, but maybe I should stay for you. <laughs> it's revealing to to us because it it shows many, so many people are afraid of fear, or I mean, afraid of fear. <laughs> They're afraid of sharing the gospel. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of getting sick. All these things that are being revealed in this time. But it reveals what our eyes are set upon. Mm -hmm. Are we set upon temporal things? Are we set upon earthly things, worldly things? Where even Colossians talks about setting our eyes on the things of heaven and not the things of earth. I mean, this talks, First Peter talks about it. So, I mean, if you really even look for that, it's in Romans. It's everywhere, everywhere. bro. It's in, in the entire New Testament, even in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. all about this thing, just waiting for it's yeah. know, where, where we're going, where we're going. Once we get that perspective, it's we it washes away, and it, so we can. It's a good, it's a good meter. Like, am I afraid? Where's my perspective? Yes, bro. Yeah. So what? Okay. I don't know if it's the same thing. So, no, it's are you good to go? Yeah. Hey, man. All right. Love you, bro. Come next week. Yes, sir. All right. Next week. Next week. Next week. Yeah. Next week. Next week. Next week. That's it. That's cool, man. Thanks for coming. Um. Yeah, bro. Maybe. Yeah, go ahead. You sure? Yeah. Uh, I just want to do like a... It's just take a minute. Um, if everybody could just close their eyes, just like as like a, a sovereign moment, you know. And if you could just for one moment imagine that day where every tear will be wiped away, every burden gone, every fear, it, did, it doesn't even exist, fear doesn't exist, it's just the joy of the Lord. And seeing the glory of his face. And if you just set your eyes on that day for just one moment. Where you meet him face to face. Everything else grows strangely dim. 
this minor affliction that we face here today is not even to be compared with the glory that shall follow. something about it that when, I, when I'm going through things mm. and I just close my eyes and I just see that day everything else fades away because nothing else matters because I know I'm doing it for him and it's light affliction mm. not even to be compared with the glory of the Father So, Father, I want to thank you, God, for your perfection, for your perfect word. And I want to thank you for your spirit of truth. And I want to thank you, God, that you didn't leave us abandoned nor orphans. That you left a perfect way. You left a more excellent way, God, than the patterns of this world. Than the elementary principles of this world, God, you have left us a better principle, God, to, to lay on. That's the foundation of Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you for that, God, for loving us regardless of our flaws, God. Regardless, God, of our failures and our shortcomings, God, you said, I will make a way for you to come back to me, God. And you left us a perfect foundation, your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you tonight, God, that we have been called out. God, thank you, God, for not leaving us in that slum that we were in, God, for the darkness that we were wallowing in God but you called us out not because of anything we did but because of your mercy and your grace I want to thank you Lord that you have chosen us to be your ambassadors to be your mouthpiece God to go out and to proclaim the same good news to the world that they also may experience this love and kindness God before this day before the day of the Lord before the day of wrath comes upon this earth Lord, you are patiently waiting for all men to repent and to turn to you. God, and I just want to thank you for my brothers and sisters who have come tonight. Lord, I bless them, Lord, and I just pray, God, that the seeds that are planted in the hearts and all the different aspects of this word, Father, blossom in their minds and their hearts, God, that they may, Father, be strengthened and stronger, Lord, in the foundations of the gospel and to set our eyes completely on the hope to come completely on the hope that nothing that comes our way Father may even budge us or even slightly move us off track that it becomes nothing but a stepping stone that we walk over in Jesus name Amen thank you guys for uh, listening to this first foundational class Hey, real quick, if you want to leave a comment or a question here on whatever platform you're, you're on and you're able to do so. But if you're going to leave uh, scripture or whatever, don't be argumentative. Let's, uh, let's be peaceable with all men, especially those of the household. And so that's all I ask. You know? But anyway, so keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Run the race. Endure to the end. I will talk to you guys soon. Amen.